All right, now we move on to vision five. And um, I would just encourage you to stop the video right now and read Revelation 15 and 16. All right, so here we have the culmination of history, the, at least this period of history, as God pours out his judgment in seven bowls of wrath. And the picture that we have of a, is of a world that has actually uh, rejected God. This is not a, a world that is interested in God anymore, but a, a, it's a post-Christian world. And today we're talking about being a post-Christian culture. And uh, so it's, it's almost as though John is prophesying something here that uh, we'd rather not um, believe, but it is prophesied that the world will enter into this rejection. It's a blatant rejection of God, almost as though people are going to believe that not that we have sinned against God, but that God has sinned against us. And they're shaking their fist at God. They're rejecting the gospel of Jesus. And of course, this comes from huge deception. I believe much of this deception comes from a church that has rejected itself the true gospel of the kingdom and has ended up with a powerless gospel. Uh, the gospel says that the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. So we're talking about a powerless church, a church that really rebels and rejects the Holy Spirit and rejects the power and authority of prayer. And so a church that's gone off into worldly power and really doesn't believe in the gospel of the kingdom anymore. Um, it's the form of godliness, but not the power of it. And of course, that's exactly what the Bible tells us is going to happen. It's, the, it's what we see in the church, unfortunately. And so the result of that is, and we can offer a couple of examples of that, uh, in Russia, in early um, 20th century, uh, you have a church that has become powerless, the, the Russian Orthodox Church. It offers people pie in the sky, and it tells people to come to church, but there's no transformational power there. Um, and so a man comes along named Lenin, and he actually gives hope to the Russian people that there is a way of getting out of the abject poverty that uh, the Russian people have, have, have known for centuries and centuries by restructuring society in a new way of government called communism. And so the people, they're getting excited about this. I mean, uh, why would people reject Christianity and go with communism. And it's because the church isn't offering the kingdom of God anymore. And so they want, they want real transformation. And so Lenin offers them that. They, he offers them a way of getting there. And so um, the people in large numbers, I mean, we're talking the whole culture becoming post-Christian. 
and moving towards this other vision as though their very lives depended on them, people giving themselves over to this vision. Well, then a generation passes, and now you've got Stalin coming up and carrying the vision, and uh, you see with Stalin what a joke this whole thing is. The vision becomes a laughingstock. It's a terrible tragedy. And things have gotten worse, not better, than under the old capitalism with a Christian veneer to it. And so uh, the, the Russian people are worse off today than they ever have been. Um, or let's look at another example. Here's uh, Germany. Germany uh, in the same period of time. Here's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Letters and Papers from Prison. These are his last thoughts as he languishes in prison, in a Nazi prison, and, and shares his thoughts about what has happened to the church. And he's saying the church has become basically a religious organization, and nobody's interested in that anymore. And it, even the church isn't interested in that anymore. It's an empty vision. Well, then along comes Adolf Hitler and offers a real vision, a vision of transforming Germany. And people are getting excited. And so they're, they're going with this new vision and they're dropping away from Christianity in large numbers. So we have a post-Christian culture. And that's what Bonhoeffer describes in his last thoughts. And um, I, I just remember uh, a seminary professor I had in the 60s who uh, stood up in front of his class and admitted that as a 20-year-old, as a he had joined Hitler's brown shirts. He himself then had to live that down all the years since Nazism and, and, and it was one of a generation of Germans who all are saying to themselves, now how could we have, have allowed ourselves to be so deceived for so many years? How could this happen? And the answer, of course, is satanic deception. Satanic deception. And um, now listen, those Germans, they had the best schools in the world. Tübingen and Heidelberg and all these schools. And education does not shield us from satanic deception. Believing that Satan doesn't exist doesn't shield us from satanic deception. But now here's, I want to offer two, two books right here, Reese Howell's Intercessor and then Bonhoeffer's final vision that he, he spoke. Well, let, me, let me read the final vision first. This is Bonhoeffer seeing into the future now, seeing past this empty religiosity of Christians in Germany to a new day. And he's writing to a young person now, um, probably about the same age as that professor was who joined the, the brown shirts. And this is what he's saying to this uh, young man. By the time you are grown up, the form of the church will have changed beyond recognition. We are not yet out of the melting pot, and every attempt to hasten matters will only delay the church's conversion and purgation. It is not for us to prophesy the day, but the day will come when men will be called again to utter the word of God with such power as will change and renew the world. 
It will be a new language which will horrify men and yet overwhelm them by its power. It will be the language of a new righteousness and truth, a language which proclaims the peace of God with men and the advent of his kingdom. Well, how is the church going to do this? How is the church going to move forward into this new era? Let me suggest that it might be the way that Rhys Howells moved into that era. Rhys Howells was a a Welsh coal miner, not an educated man, but he was a part of the Welsh revival, and then he opened his life after that to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the equipment of the church. And then the Holy Spirit began to teach him and train him how to totally surrender his life and how to move into the life of prayer. He did that, and then he became the uh, director of the Welsh Bible College in Wales uh, uh, during the time of the rise of the Nazis. And then in that, he developed a prayer team. That prayer team prayed for the Allies in World War II and were instrumental in seeing the victory, the Allied victories during that war. And uh, if you've never read Reese Howell's Intercessor, let me just encourage you to do that because I believe it, it, it fleshes out the form that the church will have during the end times. I believe it's very important that we get this message for today, Reese Howell's intercessor and he becoming the, the model for the end time church. So God is not going to get rid of his uh, royal priesthood just when he needs them the most. He's going to, to keep them in this place of intercessory prayer and worship in the end times. And out of that, the power, the power of the kingdom of God is going to flow throughout the earth. And even in the time of this, uh, this last outpouring of wrath, um, you see, I believe that as the darkness increases, the light is going to increase equal to it. And so there's going to be a conflict between light and dark. We see that in the vision of the two witnesses. I believe that the two witnesses are the Gentile church and the Jewish uh, congregations who will, in the end, come together and form this unity. And, and, and the picture we have then is of the church being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer and witnessing until the final moment uh, of, uh, of the rapture of the church. So how is the church going to exist in these times of the outpouring of wrath? Let me just once again bring up uh, Dan Juster's book, The Passover, key that unlocks the book of Revelation. This is a very important book because it shows that the judgments that we see here, the, the sores, the water are turning to blood and the scorching of the sun and the darkness and so on, all of those are, uh, are based on and reflect the book of Exodus. And, and what do we see God doing in the book of Exodus? He creates a, a place called Goshen, and Goshen becomes a place where people can put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and then the wrath will not visit them. You see, this is the picture of how God um, spares us from his wrath. And so even though Christians are in the world, they're, they're still spared. They're still going to be in these 
Goshen's, these cities of refuge, these places of, of righteousness that are preserved from the outpouring of his wrath. Now, it's, it's true that it doesn't show that here, but we see that in other places. And so, for example, in the book of Isaiah, this is, uh, again, what God is saying about his people or to his people during that very period of time. And this is Isaiah 26, um, verse 20. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. God is going to have these places of safety for his people. And we don't need to worry about that. Um, we see that again in uh, uh, as we look from the, the sixth bowl of wrath to the seventh. The sixth is, is portraying the, 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 the end time battle, the last battle, the battle of Armageddon. Um, but, but then it, it moves towards the very last of these uh, outpourings of wrath, which is a great earthquake. So let me read about that great earthquake in uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 14. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will land, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And and then you, you have other passages. You can look them up for yourself and in Isaiah 2 and Haggai 2 and Hebrews 12, you can look them up. You see, this is a theme that runs through the scriptures, the, the great shaking at the end of the age. And it literally happens when Jesus comes back. So this is the seventh of the, of the bowls of wrath, and it happens at Jesus' return. It's the very last of the uh, judgments, okay? And... Um, uh, it, it's amazing to me that, again, what we see between the sixth and the seventh of these, uh, these uh, pieces of a vision is a promise. So, so God wants to give promises right when we need them most. Do you get this? We've seen it at each of these series of visions, um, and, and here it is again, between number six and number seven, he gives a promise to his people, blessed, blessed, blessed. Why, why can't we see this? You know, why don't we ever uh, uh, declare the blessing that God is going to have for his people during this time? It's given right at the moment when we're going to need it the most. And so um, we, we, we want to, we want to say, the, the book of Revelation is intended to give promises. That's what it's for. And so here we are in the, the very uh, moment of crisis, the, the greatest crisis of world history. And God is saying, my people are not going to be uh, full of wrath. They're going to be blessed. 
And so, but blessed if they will follow the kingdom. Blessed are the overcomers. Blessed are those who dress themselves in white. Blessed are those who follow the ways of Jesus uh, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, trembling at the word, doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing as citizens of the kingdom of God and a royal priesthood, a nation of priests. And so, you know, we, we have great blessing in store for us, even at the time of the greatest moment of judgment in world history.